surprise to you that we spent a great deal of time in December focusing on the arrival of Jesus Christ. And it's the arrival of Christ. That's what Christmas is really all about. And we try to, to focus our attention on that, the Savior who changed the world. And so we spent time, if you remember, specifically studying about what came with Jesus when he arrived. What did he make available to us? And we learned that uh, upon the Lord's arrival, he brought joy. And the angels proclaimed that joy. And it was the prophets who proclaimed that he was going to bring peace, specifically peace with God. And of course, his arrival was the very demonstration of how God loves us. Today, we are going to begin a brand new series that I think is the natural progression after talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. Our new series that we are beginning today is a series on the life of Christ. What did Jesus do after he arrived? You know, when he grew up and all the things that he did. So he arrived and he brought these things, but, but let's learn about, about his life. And so we're going to study a book of the Bible together that was written by, by one of Jesus' very closest friends. He was an eyewitness to everything that Jesus did. He was a friend that was there from the earliest days of Jesus' ministry and stuck with him all the way to his death. In fact, this is the friend that stood at the foot of the cross and had to watch Jesus suffer there. That friend... He sat down one day as an old man, and he wrote about his time with Jesus. He wrote about all that had happened. This friend was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, and he wrote this account of Jesus' life for a number of reasons, but primarily he wrote it so that anybody who would read what he said about Jesus would come to the point of faith and belief in the Son of God. That's why he wrote it. This friend wrote very passionately, as you're going to see in many places, and he wrote about a number of things, but the fact is, he wrote just very straightforward that Jesus Christ was none other than the very Son of God, and that if you will commit yourself to him, he will give you eternal life. All over the pages of this gospel, that friend's name was John. And the account of the life of Jesus that he wrote about is called the Gospel of John. So if you brought your Bible today, why don't you go ahead and open up to the Gospel of John. And uh, it's the fourth book in the New Testament. It's also known as the Book of John. So sometimes you're going to hear me say the Gospel of John. Sometimes I'll just say the Book of John. I might just say in John. I mean the same thing. It was this account of the life of Christ that one of Jesus' closest friends wrote, whose name was John. And once you find that in your Bibles, would you go ahead, if you got one of those ribbon things or you got a piece of paper or a bookmark, go ahead and mark the book of John because we are going to be working our way through this amazing account of the life of Jesus from now all the way till Easter Sunday. So you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to find the book of John without even looking, okay? This is how familiar you're going to get with this. Now, to kind of help us get started with this together, let me give you just a little bit of background, not much, but just a little bit of background of John's gospel uh, to help better understand the context of what he is writing and what his purposes were. John's gospel is one of four accounts of Jesus' life. 
Those accounts um, are recorded in the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are called the Gospels. So if you ever hear me say something, you know what, we learned this about Jesus from the Gospels. I mean, this is what we learn from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The story of Jesus, the, the Gospels. Now, the first three accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are oftentimes referred to as the synoptic Gospels. Now, that's not anything you really need to remember. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. All that really means is, by synoptic Gospels, is that they are, those three are very similar. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar in that they describe the events of Jesus Christ's life in a, in a fairly chronological way. Okay? They're all similar that way. John's gospel, however, is a little bit different because John seems to emphasize the meaning of those events. Okay, so it's a little bit different, and, and scholars for centuries have talked about how John's account of the life of Christ, although very consistent with the others, it is different. It's kind of a different point of view. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar. They detail the life of Jesus Christ and the events in a chronological way. John, you're going to see, is going to talk many about the same kinds of events, but he's really going to pull out, in the way that the other gospel writers don't, the significance, the meaning, how that, that event impacts our lives. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all share the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. You might recall what happened. Jesus just had a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and what did he do? He prayed over it, he broke it, and fed thousands of people. That was such a significant miracle that all four gospel writers said, I've got to share that with who's ever going to read this. It's, it's very significant. So they all wrote about it, but only John recorded the sermon that followed where Jesus talked about the bread of life. And that helped interpret why this miracle was so important. So all four Gospels are amazing. Each one of them adds their unique pieces to the story of Jesus' life, which paints for us a picture of everything that he did. But John's Gospel adds some details that the other three Gospels do not. And here's one of the reasons why. It all comes down to what were they trying to do with, with their writing? Who was it they were writing to? So take Matthew's gospel, for example. The very first book in the New Testament. He sat down to write an account of the life of Christ. And when he wrote it, his target audience was his fellow Jews. And he wrote from the perspective as, How can I convince my Jewish brothers that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the King that was promised and prophesied about? And so he's writing with, with them in mind. And so that's why when you read Matthew, you read a lot of Old Testament scripture in there. He's saying, now look back. This is what this verse in the Old Testament means. And this is how Jesus fulfilled it. And so Matthew really focuses on the, that Jesus came from Nazareth. He was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Now, now Mark, on the other hand, when he wrote his account, he kind of wrote this with busy Romans in mind. So he didn't really need to emphasize so much that Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. So he targets and focuses on an aspect of Jesus' life of him being a servant and meeting the needs of needy people. So he's telling the same story, but he's focusing on different aspects of Jesus' ministry because Mark knew who was going to read what he wrote. 
Then you take Luke, for example. He wrote his account with Greeks in mind, and he introduced them to the sympathetic Son of God. This, 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 this side of Jesus that, that he emphasizes more than the other writers. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all write with intended audiences in mind, and that is reflected in their writings. And you can actually see these things. But it was John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, close friend of Christ, who wrote his eyewitness account for both Jewish people and Gentiles, he, he kind of wrote it for everybody, and he presented Jesus very clearly, and you're going to see this. It was John who presented Jesus as the very Son of God. I, I love all four Gospels because they do tell the story of Jesus, but admittedly, they don't tell us everything. See, John admits at the very end of his account, he'll say in John chapter 21, verse 25, he says this at the very end, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that, catch this, even the whole world would not have room enough for the books that would have been written. Isn't that pretty amazing? So, so Jesus, we can conclude from what John is saying, is that Jesus did even more things than we even know about. So that probably means that he preached more sermons than we know. It means that he probably interacted with a lot more people than we learn about in the Gospels. It probably means that he performed miracles that we don't know about. And we probably won't have any knowledge of until we get to heaven when the Lord shares the many things that John is talking about that Jesus also did that if they were all written down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to hold it all. I'm kind of looking forward to that. We're going to have eternity, so he'll have time to tell us. He'll have time to tell us what all those things were. Sometimes I get asked by people, uh, and they'll say, you know, hey, I've never read the Bible before. Where should I start? Sometimes they'll say, you know, should I start with the New Testament? Should I start with Matthew? And that's a logical place to start. But oftentimes I'll share with those people, I'll say, you know what? Don't start with Matthew. Start with John. Start reading with John, because I love the way that John describes Jesus. He speaks about Jesus in a very personal way. John talks about how you can know him even though he's gone, and how even now Jesus wants to interact with you. And so I send people to John, because they get to know the personal side of Jesus, how much he loves them and how much he wants to be a part of their life. I'll give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I tell you, there's something about Jesus wants to connect with you. Here's another place. John chapter 10, verse 14, really speaks to the personal side of Jesus. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's why I want people to read John, because they really can capture the heart of what the Lord really wants. He wants to be in your life. He, he wants you to know him, that there is a personal relationship that can be had with your heavenly Father, and I think John captures that so well. 
Now, the Gospel of John 2 is the last of the four Gospels that were written. So John wrote this, and so in chrono- chronologically, it would have been Matthew, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke came first, and then when John was an old man, he sat down to write this account, which means that by the time John sits down to write the account of Jesus as an eyewitness account, he's probably the only disciple left. He's the only disciple that could, that could write something like that. All the rest have been killed for their faith. John was the one who you might say got cursed with old age. Can you imagine what he had to endure in his life to watch the men he loved killed one by one for their faith? So by the time John writes this, he's an older guy. And the church has been operating now for a number of years. So as you read John's gospel, he seems to write in such a way about Jesus that it describes at that point in history how Jesus' life now impacts Christians trying to walk with him daily. So John kind of writes from this perspective. There's some distance now. There's the church has been going. Christians are trying to live for him every day, and they see the challenges. And so John writes in such a way. This is how Jesus impacts the church. This is what he wants from us. Now, I'll give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about there. In John's gospel, and we'll study this together, John, uh, John includes some details the others don't, like the, the times that Jesus spent with his disciples and where he prayed for the believers who one day would believe in him even though they would never see, they would never lay eyes on Jesus. Now that speaks directly to the people John was writing to because those people aren't interacting with Jesus. So he's bringing out things that Jesus said that impacts them directly. It impacts us. You know, for example, do you remember the time when um, Jesus, after he resurrected, and he met with his, all of his disciples, but there was one who was missing? Do you remember who was missing? Thomas. And so all the disciples said, Thomas, when they saw him, we've seen Jesus. And Thomas says, I don't believe you. Not until I see him with my own eyes and touch where the nails went in, that's when I'll believe. And that little statement right there is what earned him the nickname of Doubting Thomas. That's right. So a few days go by, and he actually gets to see Jesus. And remember, he's like, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says to Thomas, he said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What do you think, John? Now, Jesus said it. John emphasizes it. Why? Because he's dealing with Christians who have been Christians for a number of years now. And he's like, let me tell you about something that Jesus said about you guys. He's like, blessed are those that have not seen me, but yet will believe. There's emphasis on the church. There's emphasis on us. There was another time before Jesus went to the cross, and we have this long, it's, all, it's the entire chapter of John 17, where Jesus prays. He has this long prayer time with his disciples. It's very detailed, and, and, and Jesus prays for his disciples, and then he prays for you and me. He prays for us. John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. In other words, he's saying, my prayer is not just for the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So John here is emphasizing that that Jesus, like on his mind before he went to the cross, before he went to the cross and paid with his very life and shed his blood for the forgiveness of all people, before that happened, you know what John's trying to tell us? Jesus was thinking about us. 
And that's the personal side of John that, uh, that makes it so special, that makes it so personal, because he drives out the Son of God was thinking about you when he went to the cross. So it's quite special. So John wrote it so that everyone could believe in this Son of God. The very end of his writing, John chapter 20, verse 31, right towards the end, he said, all of this was written. It was like saying, all this that I'm writing is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I'll tell you, that would be my prayer for our church too. That our study, these next few months together and what you do personally and what you'll eventually do in your life groups, that all of this together will help us grow closer to our Heavenly Father, that we would be the fulfillment of Jesus' words and prayers, that Jesus was thinking about us, that our growth, our faith, and that our faith would grow from this study. And I think uh, if, if, you, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. What John points out so clearly is what I've just said, that you were on Jesus' mind. And if that's something you can take with you tonight, that Jesus was thinking about me when he died, that should mean something very special to you. Now, if you would, let's just jump right in here. That's the introduction. Um, let's look at John chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to read. This is how John starts this incredible account of Jesus' life. He said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. What John is he talking about? John the Baptist. That's right. Not John the disciple, not the one writing it, but just for clarity, he's talking about John the Baptist here. So there, <clears throat> there was a man sent by God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. We'll get more into John's life next, next week. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. Out of His fullness... We have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him 
known. Well, there's a lot there to unpack, my friends. We're not going to unpack it all tonight, I promise you. But there's a lot to unpack. But did you notice what John didn't write about? Did, did you notice that there was something that was apparently left out that the other Gospels maybe wrote about? There is no mention in John's introduction about Jesus' birth, nor will there be. There's no mention at all. No Joseph, no Mary, no little town of Bethlehem, no virgin birth, no shepherds. Now, unlike Matthew and Luke's gospel, their account of the life of Christ, where they detailed very carefully all the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, John chooses not to write about it at all. He doesn't include one detail about how Jesus got here. And I wonder, why is that? Because that's kind of an important detail, you would think. Perhaps John didn't feel like he needed to. Since the church had been going now for a while and it was pretty well accepted by the Christians and maybe he knew there was two other accounts that detail that, maybe he's like, I don't need to, to, to spend any time writing about that. Maybe John just wanted to get right to the point of who Jesus was and not so much details about surrounding his birth, which could speak directly to what John was really thinking when he wrote it. I'm not thinking about the birth of Christ. I'm talking about his life being the Son of God and what it meant. Now, I don't know exactly why John chose to not include that in his, in, 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 his, in his writings, but he does jump right in at the very beginning, in the very first verse, with a description of who Jesus is. That's what he wants them to connect with. The people are with, who is Jesus? And he's like, let me tell you who he is. Now, the very beginning, maybe you picked up on this, the very beginning of John sounds very much like the very beginning of the entire Bible, doesn't it? He says, in the beginning. That's how Genesis 1 starts, and that's how John 1 starts. And I, I think about that. I, I think John uh, begins not with the birth of Christ, he begins before the creation of the world. It's almost like John saying, I'm not going to start with the beginning of Jesus. I'm going to start with the beginning of time. Because that's where Jesus' story begins. We don't know it yet from this very first verse, but we will find out by verse 17, we've already read it, that when, Jesus, when John says that in the beginning was the word, he is referring directly to Jesus himself. So he says, in the beginning was the word. You can look at it and understand it this way. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God, and in fact, Jesus was God. And I hope you understand what he is acknowledging here in the very opening of his letter. That Jesus and God are one. That's what he's saying. That's the direct acknowledgement from John. Jesus and God are one. Perhaps in John's mind, writing about the birth details would be to begin the story of Jesus way too late. Because Jesus didn't start existing on the day of his birth. No, 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 no. John's acknowledging that Jesus has existed long before the Lord ever laid the foundations of our earth. So in the beginning, that's not Bethlehem. In the beginning, there was Jesus. And John says, in him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. So there's a very strong emphasis that Jesus has always been. It's as if he's saying, guys, I'm going to tell you about my personal experience with Jesus. 
And that personal experience with Jesus lasted roughly two to three years of my life. But Jesus himself has been around since the very beginning of creation. Now, this is just me thinking out loud here, and I want to admit that I'm not trying to, you know, take a theological stand or make some doctrinal point with what I'm about to tell you. I'm really just kind of thinking out loud with this. But if you and I and every other person who was ever born um, were created in God's own image, that's what the Bible says, and nothing was created without Jesus, and in fact, Jesus himself is life, then couldn't we conclude that God put something inside of all of us that gives us the ability to know him? Now just walk with me through this. I'm just, again, thinking out loud. That there is a connection that we have with God that longs for our creator. Like there's something inside of everybody. And we may not be in tune to it or not, but since we're creating God's image and Jesus is God and, and Jesus is life and nothing was made without him, I kind of begin to kind of wonder, is there something inside of each of us that longs, just automatically hungers and longs to know our creator? There's this concept, maybe you've heard of it before, but it's the concept of the God-shaped hole. Are you familiar with that? The God-shaped hole that exists in each side, each side of each person. And the God-shaped hole is this idea that every person has a void in their life that can only be filled by God. And if God doesn't fill that void, that void will always be there. And uh, this longing that many people have for something bigger than us, something grander out there, that, that there is a creator, whether we even say that or not. You know, like Ecclesiastes 3.11, there's a reference there that talks about how God has set eternity inside the human heart. And it makes you wonder, is that something that even from the foundations of the earth that God instilled in all of us, that there's this something that desires God? So this concept that God created man for his eternal purposes and, uh, and our desire to fulfill our eternal thinking is this, how people describe is this, this God's, God-shaped hole in all of us. I think about all the religions of the world. And if you think about in detail, all the religions of the world are based really on this innate desire to connect with God somehow. Ultimately, you think about what the purpose of religion, it was to connect to God. And their desire can only be fulfilled by God. And therefore, we say it's like there's this void, there's this emptiness that has to be filled. And that's kind of across the board, all religions. Now, I'm not trying to make a case for that. Like I said, I'm not trying to you know, point you to chapter and verse and say this is how it is. But I think that uh, from a first John or a John 1 perspective, where Jesus made everything, Jesus was there, nothing without him was made. Perhaps from the very beginning, God has instilled in each of us this innate desire to connect with him. Now, you know, the problem, and this is not hard to see, the problem has always been that from the very beginning, people ignore this hole in their life. They try to fill it up with something else. It's like, well, I don't need God. What I need is all these other things. And so many people spend their whole lives 
trying to pursue things that they think will make them happy, so they pursue, you know, uh, you know, winning at their job at all costs and building their financial portfolio and, and living in these kind of houses, driving these kind of cars and putting their kids in these kind of schools. And there's these pursuits. And, and I just wonder if deep down we're just trying to fill something in us that God put there innately for us to be filled by him. And if Jesus was there at the beginning and nothing was made without there, something inside me says, there's something about creation that, that longs for the creator. And, and sadly, for I would say most of our world, that void stays a void. Because we try to fill it up with things that we think will make us happy, but in the end leave us empty. John will make it clear throughout his gospel that only in Christ do we find real life. Only in Christ, that is where our deepest needs are met. So if there is a God-shaped hole inside of each of us, he makes very clear that only Jesus can fill it. Only Jesus can do that. It's in Jesus that we find eternal life and that connection to our Heavenly Father. So, just real quickly before we're done, these first couple verses, they tell us something so significant about Jesus, and they set the stage for the rest of the gospel. The first thing that we learn is this, Jesus is eternal. So if you're taking notes today, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you enjoy doing that, right there by John 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus is eternal. Now later, we get to John chapter 8, we're going to read about a time where people were questioning Jesus, and they were asking him, who are you? What are you all about? And so Jesus begins to tell them, this is who I am, this is what I'm all about, and they bring up Abraham. Now this is a very important person to a Jewish person, that, oh, you're Abraham, we're going to bring Abraham up in this conversation? And they're like, are you greater than Abraham? And Jesus says to them in John chapter 8, verse 58, he said, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. So the most important figure in their entire religious world was Abraham, and Jesus said, before him was me. Now, if you want to get really deep theologically, we can dig into the I am statements of the Bible, but this is another claim. I am. They would have understood that to them as saying, I am connected to God. Oh, and they were so angry about that that they started to pick up stones and they were going to kill him right there. We don't have a lot of details, but it just says Jesus slipped away from him. You know, it's like, where'd he go? Jesus just slipped away from him. What I hope you understand today is that Jesus is eternal. We just celebrated the birth of Christ, but Jesus existed long before his birth. In a few months, we're going to celebrate the, the resurrection of Christ, Easter Sunday. But that's not the end of Jesus' story either. No, he is still very much alive right at this moment, watching what we're doing because he is eternal. Now, since Jesus is eternal, since Jesus is eternal, what that means is that Jesus is also God. So you want to write that down in your Bible? That's fine. Jesus is God. Verse 1 says that the Word was God. Jesus was God. Later on, we'll get to this too in our study. Um, Jesus is 
John writes about a time where Jesus was trying to comfort his disciples. He was letting them know that he's going to have to die, and it's going to be kind of a horrible thing. But he, he shares with them, hey, but where I'm going, you can't follow. But, you know, where I'm going, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Do you remember? You know, in my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. You know, I, I, you know what? I'm going there to prepare it. And if I'm going away to prepare it, I'll come back and get you. And, and, of course, this was disturbing to his disciples. And, and, and they start asking questions about, about the Father and showing us the way. And this is where Jesus said famously in John, he said, listen, fellas, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Philip, one of his disciples says, then show us the Father. This is hard news for them to take. And he goes, show us the Father. And Jesus says to Philip, in John 14, 9, he says, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has what? Seen the Father. Jesus and God are one. John 1.18, we just read it. Let's read it again. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God. So if we can wrap our minds, this is what John wants us to know. If we can wrap our minds around this idea that Jesus is eternal, that he's been around since the beginning of the time, and he's still alive, that Jesus is eternal, and, and we can wrap our minds a little bit around this idea that Jesus and God are one, then by the time we come to verse 14, we'll be able to wrap our minds around this. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Which means Jesus is incarnate. Write that down in your Bible. Jesus is incarnate. That means God came in the flesh. God came His very self. God took on a human likeness a human form which is jesus and he walked among his creation as one of them warren wearsby describes it like this he was not a phantom or a spirit when he ministered on earth nor was his body a mere illusion john and the other disciples each had a personal experience that convinced them of the reality of the body of jesus god became a real person as real as you and me sitting here today in this room now his path into this world you know it had to be a miraculous one because god coming to walk among his creation isn't just gonna no 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 there's gonna have to be a miraculous way that this happens miraculous like a virgin becoming pregnant and giving birth to a son what an over what is overwhelmingly obvious from John's entire gospel as you read it is that John will emphasize many of the human-like things about Jesus. He wants us to relate to him. He endured many of the same things that we endure. So he, he does emphasize the deity of Christ, that he was God, but he also writes about the things that he endured in the flesh and the things that we're tempted with and things that afflict us are the same things that afflicted him and he felt in the same way. So John will point out 
um, all throughout his letter, like in John chapter 4, that Jesus became very weary and tired. We read about that in John's gospel. We read about in John how he talks about how, how Jesus became very thirsty. And we don't think about God ever becoming thirsty. But God, who came in the flesh and experienced everything like we do, he became thirsty. He was tired. <clears throat> in John chapter 11, he talks about how he groaned from within. There, there's an aching there. In John 11, we read that Jesus wept. He cried. He had this emotion about him. We know that he died. So he experienced that. They beat him up before he went to the cross. He experienced pain. He bled all over the place. He experienced that. After his resurrection, he proved to Thomas and the other disciples that, even, that he still had a real body. Now let it be that he resurrected, he was glorified, but he still had a real body. They could touch, they could smell him, they could talk to him. He ate with them. Now this was God in the flesh. So his birth was miraculous, and he grew up and he lived his entire life without ever committing one sin, but being exposed to everything that we are. Now just think about that. Not one sin. So God in the flesh is not an abstract concept, but rather just a real person who could be touched, seen, and heard. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God. And Jesus is incarnate, God in the flesh. That's who John said Jesus was. And that's what sets the stage for his entire gospel. And I have one question for you, and I'm going to leave you with this, and I'm just going to let this hang over you, let you contemplate. That's who John said Jesus was. But who is Jesus to you? What does Jesus mean to you?